Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Friday, November 15th. One of our final weekends of the tennis year, shaping up to be an awfully fun weekend of tennis. Obviously, the event on the top of everyone's mind, the ATP World Tour Finals in London. We had some fantastic, dramatic, winner-take-all results today in Roger Federer, knocking off Novak Djokovic. We had Matteo Berrettini getting his first win, the first Italian win at the ATP World Tour Finals by knocking off Dominic Team. Of course, we've got other great events throughout America this week. We've got the double order. Oracle Challenger 125K events in Houston. We've got a challenger in Champaign to round off our Australian Open Wild Card Challenge. One of the, you know, those few storylines we monitor as the year is coming to an end. But to help me sort through all of it, you may recognize her voice now as she is a repeat host of our Cracked Interviews podcast, a rising guest on the Mini Break podcast. Of course, she is also the former world number 87 in the WTA singles rankings. Vicki Duval, welcome back to the mini break podcast wow a little extended intro today i love it (laughs) you know every so often i like to throw in a little monologue just to get the listeners loose i know thought i was doing an interview for a second i was like okay okay (laughs) bringing back my history i like it (laughs) no i just i I run on steam at the beginning i've got so much nervous energy so i just kind of talk and i'm like all right now i'm settled now i should bring in the guest (laughs) Uh, Time so that's to reel how, it in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's how it works for me. But ton of tennis to follow, Vicky. It, you know, how are you feeling? I know you've got rehab stuff going on, and of course, we'll give our weekly rehab update with how you are doing. But you know, how are you feeling? It's kind of sad, right, that the tennis is coming to an end. I know it's kind of crazy. I was actually talking to my friend today about uh, some of the Davis Cup matches coming up. To is it Davis Cup? Or, yeah, Davis Cup is coming up. <laughs> Got confused for a second. Um, yeah, it's just crazy. Obviously, with the finals as well. I mean, it's so great that we still have some tennis, but it's also kind of crazy that tennis is still being played. So, um, been exciting to see all the tournaments unfold. Obviously, like you said, in Houston and in Champaign, lots of tennis still to be played. Correct me if I, I'm sure you've played some, if not, you know, a healthy amount of indoor tennis in your lifetime. But what are your thoughts on indoor tennis? Oh, I love indoors. I I play my best tennis indoors. I won my first challenger, I believe it was indoors, in Canada, uh, right after I came off my win against Sam Stozer at the Open in 2013. I went to Canada, played in Saguenay and Toronto, had a devastating loss in Saguenay. I was up... I believe six two five one thirty love, and I lost that match. <laughs> Just one of those, and uh, turned it around in Toronto, got the title. So definitely love indoors. I love watching it. You know, it's faster, it's more fun. Love it. I feel like someone who's a doubles player as well. Yeah, you get to move forward more. Everything's just a little bit cleaner. At the same time, you spent all that time at IMG. I like. Did you guys get to hit indoors often? 
Yeah, we have a pretty nice indoor center. They actually just resurfaced it not too long ago. So we have four beautiful indoor courts now. And I believe they're building another indoor facility kind of at the entrance of IMG. So that'll be interesting to see. But obviously, we don't. I mean, it rains a lot in Florida. That's kind of the only reason we'd go indoors. <laughs> Luckily, there's only one season in Florida, and that's summer. So, uh, yeah, we, we get to hit indoors, obviously, when it rains, but most of the time is spent outside. But, um, yeah, I mean, I we don't. there's no fans or anything indoors either, <laughs> so it gets a little toasty in there. It's almost worse than playing outside. <laughs> oh, see, for me, growing up in Michigan, I mean, half your year is spent playing indoor tennis if you play tennis because, obviously, there's snow on the ground or it's... 20 degrees and even if it's not snowing you can't play in 20 degree weather plus it you know the sun is gone by 5 p.m during the winter so you know for me it was often making the transition back to outdoors it's you get your lungs back under you that you know the wind adjusting to all of these things feels like indoor and outdoor tennis really are two different games what do you think about that yeah I think they are I mean I think obviously not every indoor is the same so some places people struggle more than others obviously when you go to places where there's a bit of altitude it's even tougher to get your lungs organized enough to breathe and all of that too so I mean like I said I love playing indoors I think I my game style is suited for indoors certainly people who hit with a bit more spin who like to you know build the points a little bit more you know indoors might not be their favorite thing in the world uh, but for someone who likes to take the ball early like you said come to the net finish off points indoors is a lot of fun and like fun it's you know what I mean like it's quick it's nice <laughs> who wants to play long points I don't <laughs> oh see that's where for someone who's bad I'm just like let me get to 15 shots 20 shots 25 that's where you know you're really working the lungs indoors plus indoor tennis if you can't get to the ball you're a bad athlete because like <laughs> it's indoor tennis right it's so much easier to get to the ball what's your tactic indoors how what's your strategy when you're playing <laughs> well i feel like when i'm talking with you it's like well it doesn't really matter because i'd lose no matter what but <laughs> when playing of people with equal level i suppose i so my brothers are both lefties and so like they always wanted to hit forehands and i was just always down i mean my little brother's way younger but i'm always down to hit backhands and so i mean we're talking from boys tens all the way up i was always like i'm just gonna pick on your backhand no matter what it is because i know mine's better than yours and my forehand sucks Um, (laughs) so trying to hit backhands open up the backhand down the line sneak in behind it probably my favorite play oof what a killer play that is (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what about you? We'll switch gears for a relevant tactic, uh, tennis tactic. Your go-to indoor play. Oof. Um, usually when I play and I'm kind of feeling it, feeling pretty good, I like to <laughs> put something in my head of every 40 love or so. At 40, 15, if I'm really trying to risk it, I'll serve in volley. I think that's kind of a fun thing to do indoors because why not? You know, you're up 40 love or 40, 15, you know, you can try things on that point i mean if if it's five all no we're not doing it (laughs) but if it's five two even five three is like eh. (laughs) but yeah i mean i think my game plan is probably the same on every surface which is why (laughs) i kind of struggle on clay (laughs) it's just apparently i don't have that much spin on my strokes so just taking it early and playing low percentage tennis i've been told but it works so (laughs) 
like this podcast is half built upon a foundation of serving and volleying a kicker out wide on the ad side. I mean, that's <laughs> that's how me and Rothman made our money back in the day. Um, oh, love it. Money. Yeah, not that we made, you know, go to Toronto, beat Tamiya Babo 7-5 retirement in the final in 2013 money, but, you know, <laughs> enough. But the reason we talk about indoor tennis, and I was thinking about transition back when you said, you know, indoor tennis, people who like to take the ball early, move forward, it suits them the best. Well, the first match I want to talk about today, by the way, seven minutes on indoor tennis. Not bad, Vicky. I, I really have missed you. That was fun. Um, but Gosh, getting I to, know. We love to talk. <laughs> yeah, I know. But getting to the serious results we want to cover heading into the weekend, because obviously the ATP World Tour Finals hot on everyone's minds right now. A guy who thrives on indoor tennis, who you talk about aggressive plus one tennis moving forward, making the game look its most beautiful. Roger Federer, who after losing his first match of the weekend, I believe, to Dominic Team, a match, Team has a winning record against Federer in their career, but still, indoors, didn't expect that. He comes back these next two matches, knocks off Berrettini, and then today, uh, in the you know highlight match of the day, he knocks Nov- off Novak Djokovic in a routine 6-4, 6-3 fashion. Now, even before getting into the tennis, that Novak was playing to end the year world number one. He needed some things to happen. He needed Nadal to lose before him. He needed to win the event, of course. But with that added stakes, uh, to see Roger Federer just dismantle, I mean, not dismantle, that's not fair to anything. No one dismantles Novak Djokovic, but to just see the comfort with which he played today, the comfort with which he was able to, you know, keep control of his match against Novak Djokovic, it, it was stunning to me, Vicky. What would you think? Yeah, I mean, I wasn't able to watch all of it because I was apartment hunting, uh, well, helping my friend (laughs) apartment hunt today. Uh, But the few highlights that I did see, I mean, I think it was unbelievably impressive. Obviously, Federer knew how much was on the line with this match. You know, the winner was moving forward, the loser was going home. So I think, you know, Federer played with that hunger and that desire and I I thought at times Novak looked flat and I wasn't sure if it was because of his elbow we saw him grab his elbow a few times on the changeover obviously the crowd playing a huge factor as well they Um, love Roger sorry to cut you off but it's just it never ceases to amaze me no matter where he goes it's a pro Roger crowd did you hear when he played at the I think Novak did an interview um after their Wimbledon final and no, I, it was really interesting what Novak said about the crowd. Obviously, the crowd was deafening for Federer in that final this year. But uh, Novak said, I, I read somewhere where he said, it sounds silly, but it's hard not to be aware of, of the crowd. And the way that he dealt with it was that he transmutated. That's the exact words he used. He said, I transmutated in a way that whenever the crowd was chanting Roger, I heard Novak. And I was like, that's really interesting. But, you know, I think anywhere Federer goes, you're kind of playing two opponents, you know, if the crowd adopts Federer wherever he goes. So not do you think that played a factor today? I'm not really sure. Did you watch all of it? Well, can I just say to the mind games point, at least both Roger, Novak, two-syllable words. So, like, I could see just the Roger, Novak. You could kind of block out because it's so many people and just be like, the two syllables are saying are me. So I could see how that worked. Now, obviously, transmuted or whatever, that was lost in translation. That's obviously not a word. Um, I know. I was like, did he just make up a word? I'm not sure. (laughs) Yeah, but I mean, I'm thinking about, and again, not the same scale, but... 
you know, Novak, Novak Djokovic, you could argue, is one of the greatest returners, if not the greatest returner in the history of the men's game. Now, you talk about Roger Federer uh, feeding off of the crowd, bringing his A game, that he made 73% of his first uh, serves right off the back. That's a huge number, but he lost a total of 11 points on serve today. 29 of 36 on the first serve, 9 of 13 on the second serve. To do that to a Novak Djokovic, who, again, arguably the best returner in the history of the sport. I mean, yeah, I thought the crowd did. I thought he fed into it. I thought Fed got on top of Djokovic from the get-go, got that early break. It was uh, the only break of the first set, by the way. Djokovic didn't break Federer the entire match, but that Federer was able to get out to an early lead. It allowed him to play aggressive. These courts are fast. They are indoors. I mean, some of the volleys Federer hit today, just laughable how good he is. Yeah, I thought just Roger did a good job of getting on top of Novak and using the crowd and using that momentum he had to ride it all the way through yeah I mean I would totally agree with you and I think Djokovic in their head-to-head rivalry he leads 26-22 and he's won six of their last meetings in London six of their nine last meetings in London so I think for Federer to come out and play the way that he did given the magnitude of the match and what was on the line I thought that was so impressive and I mean I feel like 90% of Roger's shots you're just like picking your job off the floor like how does he make that look so easy I seriously don't understand what a guy <laughs> 38 years old he still has more hair than I do uh, he's <laughs> able to do all of these things with his backhand flicks you're just like where do you get that strength from like it's not even too it's just yeah it's it's absolutely ridiculous and it was such a high level from Roger and with this win he'll clinch his spot in the semifinals again you know, two decades in a row, he ends it the same way in the semifinals of the year-end finals. I mean, a ridiculous uh, year year 38 season from Roger. But just to put the bow tie on Novak's season, because this is obviously, you know, him being eliminated, no more matches for him. He'll finish the year 54-11. and 11. He won 83% of his matches, five titles, six finals in, six t- uh, in 15 different events. Obviously, he wins the two slams at the Australian Open in Wimbledon, two Masters events uh, in Madrid, and then to end the year in Paris. He ends the year world number two, meaning five times this decade he ended the year world number one, the most of any player. Uh, and yet... I know he's had some injuries. I know, you know, he's 30, what, two now, so he's not exactly at his youngest and, you know, age-wise, probably towards the end of the peak curve, but I just want to read some stats to you, Vicky, and then get your opinion. He started out this decade, 2011, or I just want to give you the, the four years before and then his his peak and then where he's at now. So 2007 to 2010, he won about 80% of his total matches. Now, that's ridiculous, of course. That's... No one's saying... Wow. Yeah, yeah, no one's saying, like, that's not absurd. That's uh, the highest level of tennis. But from 2011 to 2016, he won no less than 86% of his matches. He went 70 and 6, 92%, 75 and 12, 86, 74 and 9, 61 and 8, and then it culminated in 2015, 82 and 6, winning 93% of his matches. Probably the best season of all time, that 2015 season. 2016, he goes 65 and 9, 80, wins 88% of his matches. So those are all ridiculous numbers, Vicky. And sorry to throw these all at you at once, but over these last three years, he's gone back down to that, you know, 2017 injuries, but he goes 32 and 8. 2018, he goes 53 and 13. This year, 54 and 11. 
I know Novak Djokovic still has really good tennis left in him, but I think it's safe to say, you look at the trends, the very, very peak Novak, the Novak who only loses six times in 88 matches in a season, which, sorry to swear, but that's ridiculous. <laughs> I, I think that Djokovic is gone now. Do you think it's safe to, do you think, would you say that or do you still think, no, nah, he's still, you know, when he plays his best, he's the best, to, he's the guy to beat? I mean, I think, you know, obviously when he came back from his injuries, he had a bit of a rocky start. I think in one of the interviews, he said he felt like he came back too soon and he wasn't totally prepared. Then he went on a streak, you know, this year with all the wins he's had, obviously coming off a Wimbledon win. I believe he won Australian Open this year as well. And Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, and uh, Madrid and Paris and Japan Open. So, I mean, I definitely still think the guy has... A lot of Grand Slams, maybe a lot. I mean, I I would I would go on a limb and say he has a, a couple Grand Slams left to win. Um, <laughs> I don't, but, yeah, you know, that, I, and which by the way isn't going out on a limb. I think we all agree on that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think he's. Do I think he's at his peak still? No. I mean, I would totally agree with you there. I think, you know, that one year where he went, he lost what three or four matches or something. Guy was allergic to losing. I mean, that's just unheard of. So. I think the one thing that Novak does so well is he knows what works for him, for his body, for his nutrition, for his mental health. You know, he's a guy that doesn't skip any steps. Obviously, any of these top guys who are legends, you can't get to that level when you're if you're uh, skipping steps. So I think for him, you know, he's one of those guys where his body looks like it's never really going to break down. You know, he's one of the most flexible guys on tour. He's thin. He's so fit. So, I mean, I think from that aspect, I don't see him breaking down anytime soon. Even someone like Roger, you look at how he moves, how he's so fit and just so it's so easy to watch him like a ballerina on the court, you know. So I think I don't know. I think I still think guy has a lot left in him. Yeah, and look, in terms of the decade, which is something we're looking at most closely on our Great Shot podcast, Best of the Decade series, but it bears repeating. He's got the most majors titles this uh, this decade on the men's side. He had 15. I believe Rafa had 12 or 13. You know, he's got 16 total. He's four behind Federer, but, you know, that that's always going to be the thing is because he's so close and because the level, you know, he still won two slams this year despite it being a relatively down year where he wins 83% of his matches, but a relatively down year for him. I mean, yeah, until one of these next young guys really are whether it's a team or a Medvedev or a Zverev or whomever maybe steps up and wins you know maybe not only one slam but multiple slams in a row you think Novak Djokovic is still always going to be one of if not the guy to beat at a major and I mean you still have Rafa on clay too so yeah I agree I I think Novak still has a lot of good tennis on him but it's just it's interesting to see you know it feels like there was a time three years ago where Novak wants that you know there's just times when he turned it on it's just like this guy you just can't beat him and I don't know if he's got that gear anymore yeah I mean I think we saw a little bit of that I believe it was in Paris uh when he just I'm I didn't watch any of the matches but I remember going on Twitter and seeing players commenting comment or uh, posting stuff like oh my gosh can't beat this guy or guys like out of control stuff like that and so in watching some of the highlights you know it's just it was amazing to see how Novak just dismantles players you know psychologically I feel like when he's 
at his best and he's a wall and he's totally locked in i mean you really can't beat the guy you you just can't do it Absolutely, and it's going to be really interesting to see how that style of play ages because you're right, he did just win Paris. I'm not saying, you know, he can't do that. I just think, you know, the three-month, four-month stretches where he just doesn't lose. I mean, I, I think that, just to clarify, that to me is where he's going to be hard-pressed to find that Oh, sort of yeah, yeah, yeah. I totally agree. And I think, like you said, no one is arguing that the guy is going to rack up so many more trophies before he can even think about, you know, his last couple breaths in tennis. But I, I would agree with you there that, you know, these stretches of, what, 50-something matches that he just doesn't lose, I, I think especially with the young guys coming up, the depth of these young players, I think it'd be hard for him to consistently do that like he used to, for sure. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Yeah. Well, a guy who has been playing his best tennis this year, whose best tennis is likely to come throughout the next next decade, our winner of the second match at the ATP, or I guess the first match on the schedule, but our second winner from today's World Tour Finals action, Matteo Berrettini, the number eight player here, the last guy into the draw, 0-2 coming into today's final match against a 2-0 Dominic team. And he gets a really good win to round out his season, 7-6, 6-3 over team now watching the match it's not fair to say that team tanked he definitely did not do that he did not dog the match but did he play aggressive absolutely did he maybe give up on a drop shot where if this was the grand slam semifinal fifth set he maybe goes after that ball a little bit harder I think that's fair to say but for Matteo Berrettini I mean today just accentuated all the things he does so well huge serve monster forehand indoors he can be so aggressive he's going to take risks for a guy who's 6'4", 6'5", 200 plus pounds thick, you know, he moves really well. Great 2019 from Berrettini. I'm curious, Vicky, what do you see from him? You know, what did you see from him this year that you like for him moving forward? Yeah, I mean, I think, like you said, huge weapons, huge serve. Um, guy has a lethal forehand for sure. And I think it was really interesting to read a stat where at the as the 2018 ATP Finals began, he was outside the top 50 himself. And then, you know, one year later, here he is on the big stage with all the top guys. And he even said himself that he didn't expect to be there at the beginning of the season or even a few months ago. Yet he, you know, climbed his way, won so many matches, racked up so many wins under his belt. And I didn't get to watch any of the match against team, but I I thought it was kind of interesting that they played. Because I guess that's just a practice match, isn't it? Because Berentini was already out and team already qualified. So (laughs) that was a bit interesting. But yeah, I mean, I think going forward, obviously, he's a young guy. He's 23. He's settling into his game and, and has had such a wonderful year so I think it'll be really exciting to see what he comes up with in 2020 I'm really glad you made that practice match point because watching it it did feel sort of like a glorified exhibition like Dominic team cared 
but not really. He's like, I'm not wasting what I need in the tank for this semifinals weekend stretch, and I think that was clear. But yeah, I agree with you. For Matteo Berrettini, again, finishes the year number eight, 42 and 21, two titles this year, one on grass, one on clay, but obviously the U.S. Open semifinal on a hard court as well proves that he can excel on all three surfaces. Do I love how often he hits the drop shot? No, of course I don't. I've never been. Maybe it's because I can't do it myself, but you know, you'd love to see him hit through the backhand more. But the variety he plays with, the fact that if you leave the ball in the center, he's going to go big after a forehand. He's confident in his strokes, and you have to like that for a 23-year-old. Oh, for sure. And I think it'll be really interesting to see if he uses the front part of the court more uh, going forward. I think he's a guy that can win a lot of points at the net, too, just because he does hit so deep and so hard on almost a regular basis. So I think it'll be interesting to see if that's something they kind of add into his game going forward. And he loves the drop shot. Loves it. Lives for it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it'd make me mad. Like, if I'm Dominic team and I know I've got a hard weekend of tennis ahead of me, I'd be like, dude, you can take this one. I'm not running any more of these down. Can you imagine, though, being able to hit that hard and people just, as soon as the ball is short, I mean, they're backpedaling to the fence? I think... And does he use it a lot? Yeah, but I mean, come on, the guy hits so hard. <laughs> yeah, that's why it works, absolutely. But it's like, yeah, and then today at one point he he loaded up the slice back, and I think it was at two zero in the first set breaker, and he went down the line with it and won the point. It was like a nice little uh, approach shot down the line slice. So yeah, it is certainly can work the variety. I'm just saying, you know, on the clay. Like, you're going to do that to Rafa, and then it's going to go, uh, and it's he's going, you know, forehand <laughs> down the line across court or whatever it is, and it's just, there's the point. Or Federer, I what think, he did to him at Wimbledon. I think he needs to teach us how he hits his classic drop shot. We just, maybe we just, maybe it's because we don't know how to do it properly. Oh, it's, it's drop shot <laughs> envy for sure. Yeah. Um, no, it, and so it should be a really fun, uh, you know, really good result for him, obviously for team. You know, we don't have to worry much about him because he, we're going to see plenty of him this weekend as he, both he and Roger Federer advance to the semifinals. But before we get to the semifinal action, we do have one group left to finish up. That, of course, is the other group where tomorrow we have Rafa Nadal taking on Stefano Tsitsipas as well as Alex Zverev taking on Daniil Medvedev. Now, to read to you listeners the scenarios, because there's still a place or a way that all four of these players can make the semis. And Vicky, we, we practiced this in the run-up, so you know you got to let me know how I do here. But on Friday, here are the various scenarios. Because again, it's Tsitsipas versus Nadal, Medvedev versus Virev. If Nadal and Medvedev win, Tsitsipas, or Nadal is the one seed of the group, Tsitsipas the two. If Nadal and Zverev win, Tsitsipas won, Zverev two. If Tsitsipas and Medvedev win, Tsitsipas won, Medvedev two. If Tsitsipas wins and Medvedev wins in three sets, Tsitsipas won, Zverev two. And if Tsitsipas and Zverev win, both Tsitsipas and Zverev will play. So, in other words, for Tsitsipas, for Zverev, for Nadal, win. Well, I guess for Tsitsipas and Zverev, it's win and you're in no matter what. For Nadal, he needs to win. He needs uh, Zverev, I think, to beat Medvedev in. He just needs Zverev to beat Medvedev for sure. So it's very complicated is what I'm trying to say, Vicky. And, you know, we've got a, a lot of action. I guess wh- which of these matches intrigues you more? I think Medvedev's match is going to be really interesting. Obviously, he's coming off a devastating loss against uh, Nadal where he 
was up 5-1 in the third set and uh, lost that one devastating loss for him. So I think it'll be really interesting to see how he bounces back. And Zverev as well, you know, he didn't have his best match uh, yesterday and he'll be looking to hopefully turn that around. I think it's kind of amazing how all these guys still have a chance. It's pretty cool, actually. Yeah, it's one of those rare times where these World Tour Finals have lived up to the hype. We've gotten a bunch of three-set matches. We've gotten winner-take-all. I, I think I agree. After for Medvedev to be up five-one, have a match point, and now be oh, and now you know a couple days later find himself zero and two in the group and about to be eliminated, especially given the run he's been on since uh, after Wimbledon. Uh, yeah, that's got to hurt. I've also loved the fact that we've gotten Zverev, Tsitsipas, and Medvedev, all three young guys in the same group. That's been a blessing from the tennis gods. Uh, for the Medvedev-Zverev match, you look at their career head-to-head. Zverev leads 4-1 to all-time, but the one time they played this year in Shanghai, Medvedev won 4-1. All five of their matches have been on hard courts. Four out of the five uh, decided in two sets. Uh, only one of them went 7-6 in the third. That was in Miami 2018. I kind of like this matchup for Zverev, and I know Tsitsipas just took it to him, and it's been an up-and-down performance for Zverev, but Medvedev isn't going to want to hurt him. Medvedev wants to play you know, six feet behind the baseline, wait for an error, and like for Alex Zverev, that's life in heaven. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, I would definitely give Zverev the edge in that match. I think he has a lot more weapons. He can hurt Medvedev. Obviously, Medvedev is a wall as well, too. He's one of those guys. I mean, the reason he was able to rack up so many wins this year, you just can't hit through him, you know, and he's stands back there and just makes you beat yourself. So I think, you know, Zverev is going to have to be a little bit patient, even though it's indoors. He's going to want to play aggressive, but controlled aggression and I think, you know, if he does what he has to do, the mat- that match is definitely in his favor. The counterpoint, obviously, to Neil Medvedev to have something as poor as what just happened against Nadal happen to him to be 0-2, you want to go out with a win, right? You want to end your season on a high note. Plus, he can still, there's a chance he's got an outside shot of making the semifinals. So there's no reason to expect a Neil Medvedev tank, and you always worry with Zverev in those pressure situations. Um just because of all the things that have happened in his career. Uh, I don't know. I'll ask you for a pick in this one. Where are you leaning? Medvedev, Zverev. I think by a small margin, I'm going to go Zverev. Oh, I like it. I want to do the same. I also want to disagree. Uh, <laughs> I mean, Medvedev's been so good, but indoors, uh, Zverev served well. Tsitsipas played really well. Medvedev's got to be cranky. I would say the over-under cracked rackets, at least two cracked rackets in this match. Like, just guaranteed by these guys. They're, they're breaking something, but... I think so. <laughs> I'll stick with you. I'll go Zverev as well. I like it. Three-set match, I think, either way. But I think uh, I think Zverev ends up creaking it out. But the other match, of course, Nadal-Tsitsipas. Nadal 4-1 against Tsitsipas all-time. Tsitsipas got his one win this year in Madrid in the semifinals in three, but the two times they've played on hard court this year in the Australian Open semifinals, last year in the Canada final, uh, Nadal won all five sets they've played. The obvious thing, one-handed backhand for Tsitsipas versus the lefty in Nadal. Now, Nadal also nursing that ab injury, but clearly was able to play through it in a long physical match against Daniil Medvedev. Tsitsipas is confident. He's 2-0. and 
two big wins over two rivals, but you almost could see a Dominic team-esque letdown from him here. I guess my question to you, because Tsitsipas' livelihood still on the line, which way are you leaning in this one? Oof. Um, I mean, I, I think Nadal, obviously that win against Daniil has got to be a huge boost for him, but you have to wonder how he's feeling physically too, you know? So... T.C. Pass has already qualified, though, hasn't he? He has, right? Uh, I think, isn't this scenario, isn't there a world where both Nadal and Medvedev or, like, Zverev and Medvedev get in? So, no, I don't think he has. I think he can lose and still get in, but he has not clinched a spot yet. I feel like he I has. Wait. I feel no, like I'm looking at the list. I'm looking at the list right now. Here's the scenario I'm talking about. If... And I'm sorry, I just don't want to get it wrong, so I'm looking correctly. If, uh, nope, you're right, I'm wrong. There's no scenario, no Medvedev and Tsitsipas can get in. So you are right, Tsitsipas locked. So, there could be a Tsitsipas team tank. That's what I'm saying, that's why I was like, I don't, I don't think it, well, you know, he's the kind of guy that I don't think, uh, I'm going to backpedal on my thought before even finishing it. <laughs> I, I think Nadal is going to get the win because I think it's going to be a scenario also where he's going to be conserving himself for the semis. Yeah, if Nadal wins, then if Nadal and Medvedev win, it's Nadal Tsitsipas. If Nadal and Zverev win, it's Tsitsipas Zverev who move on. So, ugh. Cluster, cluster F of a day tomorrow. It's going to be, you know, <laughs> follow along. Again, that tweet from at Jose Morgado uh, to people who need to refresh the scenario because there are a lot of them. Look, Pass <laughs> is playing aggressive tennis. He's playing confidently, but, I mean, Rafa's got money. I know Rafa, by the way, with Djokovic loss, he's ending the year world number one. I think he's the oldest guy to ever end with the year world number one ranking. That's a credit to him, his success this season. You know, a very quiet two Grand Slam season for him, inching closer to breaking Federer's record himself. Huh. He's injured, though. And, like, at a certain point, I feel like someone's got to go undefeated in one of these groups. <laughs> I mean, if if anyone was gonna do it, I would say it's Tsitsipas. Guy plays like his life is on the line every match, you know. Which is, and Nadal does too. So, I think I think it'll be really interesting. I think part of him is gonna say, "Hey, I'm in the semis already. I'm probably gonna use this as a practice match, kind of like Team did." It'll just be really interesting. I I I I would still give Nadal the edge over that one. See, I never want to pick a one-handed backhand going up against a lefty. But I really <laughs> want to disagree with you. I, I think you like, should. You agreed with me last time, so I feel like you gotta yeah, you gotta go for it this time. I, I don't know. Agreeing with you works well. I'm gonna stick with Nadal. I'm gonna roll. With you. I agree with you. Never never go against the lefty. I mean, Nadal just came back from five one down in the third. Actually, give me Tsitsipas. That's too much for Nadal to have to do again. I'm gonna ride with Tsitsipas. We can disagree <laughs> once. That's fine with me. But something we don't disagree on is that there is ton of other fantastic tennis outside of London for us to monitor and watch this weekend as tennis fans. One of the biggest events for us to do so. Uh, The Oracle Challenger Series going on right now in Houston. Now, on the men's side, uh, the ATP event going on, it's a challenger. On the women's side, it's a 125K event, both of them with serious implications as you look at the uh, Australian Open USTA wildcard heading into 2020. For listeners who don't know of that, we've been talking about the past couple of weeks. But, uh, you know, it's a three- or four-week challenge. Whoever accumulates the most points at two out of three for the men or three out of four events, 
events for the women, uh, get them, earn themselves a wild card into the Australian Open main draw. Obviously, for a lot of these players as well, they're fighting to put their ranking in a position where they can either, you know, fight for a spot in the main draw themselves or ensure that they're going to get into Australian Open qualifying. So high-value tennis going on right now, but the storyline for me coming out of Houston, coming out of Oracle, an interview we did together, Vicky, CeCe Bellis, uh, you know, former top 40 player in the world, you know, world junior number one, third round by the time she was 15 at the U.S. Open. After all of these injuries, we talked to her on the mini break, and now she is back in action. She has won her first two matches. She's into the round of 16 here. I mean, isn't it awesome to see Vicky? Oh, it's amazing, and I've been texting her a little bit, congratulating her, and I think to do what she's done after taking 18 months off is so impressive. Obviously, getting that wild card into the qualifying, racking up a win there against Alexa Glatch, who was the one seed in qualies. I mean, that's no easy feat whatsoever in your first match back, and racking up beautiful wins against Perez and Lepchenko. I mean, I think the most impressive thing for me, that match against Lepchenko, she was up 6-4, 4-2, and went down, lost four games to lose that set 6-4. And for someone when you, when I mean personally as well, when you haven't played matches in a long time, it's kind of hard. There's, there's one thing to get practice focused, and there's one thing to get match focused. Ma- being match tough and tournament tough is a whole different beast. And so to have that lead and lose the second set 6-4, Cece then went on to go up 4-1 in the third set. Levchenko fought back. Cece was up 5-4 serving, lost that game at 5-4, was up 6-5, couldn't close it out again. She finally got it done in the tie break um, in the third set. And I think for her to display that much fortitude in her first tournament back and to be so tough against a really tough tough opponent in Levchenko, I think... There's endless applause for CeCe and what she's been able to do so far first tournament back. Yeah, it's so awesome to see, again, with so many players uh, in a position. You know, you see people like Bethany Maddox-Sands in the tournament. You see people like Coco Vandway, people like Jeannie Bouchard as well, all in that same situation as CeCe. And to see all of them go down to Houston, put together this really fun run uh, towards the end of the event. You know, you've been through that rehab process before as well. So for a player like CeCe, even, you know, she's not going to get to play many events down this home season stretch, but just to get a couple of matches under her belt, how important for that is you as you rebuild uh, in the off season, heading towards your first full season back from injury? Oh, I mean, it's such a great feeling. Obviously, for her, she's put in a lot of work, and it shows. I've I've seen one or two of her practices when I went to visit her in Orlando, and it's just it's just amazing when you see all your hard work paying off so early, you know. And I think that's something that she'll build on, obviously, going into twenty twenty. And I mean, I. Th- <laughs> First of all, I think it's so crazy that it's 30 degrees in Houston. Like it's, <laughs> they're playing in pants and like coats. It's amazing. They're playing in 30 degrees, winds out of control. No one can feel their face. <laughs> I mean, it's just it's just unbelievable. Like how many <laughs> factors are you playing against in Houston? That's un- and there's no indoors, so you got to suck it up and play in feels like 10 degree weather. <laughs> it's unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, that's half the fun. Uh, again, this is why we 
go indoors in Michigan. That's why in the men's side, there some people decided to play champagne this week because they're like, I'm not going indoors. Then that's crazy talk. Uh, so that's yeah. unreal. <laughs> yeah, but and there also though for those in Houston, there's the added benefit. It's part of the Oracle Challenger Series, so these players earning points for themselves to try and get a wild card into the Indian Wells event next March uh, for both the men and women and. We can give standings updates next week after these Oracle events finish. But, uh, you know, take as much time as you're here as you want, Vicky. Give me some other storylines you've noticed from Houston on the uh, WTA 125K side. Oh, well, day two was pretty standard. A lot of Americans coming through. Bouchard getting her win against, ooh, I cannot even say this name, Gramatikpulu from Greece. <laughs> I saw that was on the headlines of the WTA, obviously, Janie, uh, breaking that losing streak that she had. Um, I think the day that stood out to me the most was day four. The number one seed, Danielle Collins, was upset by Kalanina in three sets. I was a little surprised by that. You know, Danielle has been playing really well. She's had a good year, so I was kind of thinking she was going to go pretty far in this tournament. Obviously, conditions also being a factor. I mean players handle these conditions better than others so who knows what that match looked like but I think you know another crazy thing for me to see on day four we had two 6060 matches which is unreal to me <laughs> Bethany Maddox Sands defeating Ali Kick O and O and George or excuse me Usway Arcanada defeating Chang 6060 I think that's that's kind of crazy. I mean, I've lost 6060 matches. I can't talk. <laughs> but <laughs> well, just... on that note, real quick, because we were talking about this for the best of the decade, I was trying to find it on a website. But in the course of you know every professional match, let's say there were, oh, I've gone through a lot. Let's say there are ten thousand matches on the. No, there's got to be more than ten thousand. Let's say there are twenty five thousand matches. Nah, ten thousand matches a year on the professional tour, both men's and women's. Although there has to be more than that. How many O and O's do you think there were this decade? This decade? Yeah, like how many professional? Because everyone on the pro circuit is so good, and it's like kind of hard to lose a match O and O because you're all so good. At least I feel like that's the like that's why you don't see. So you'll see O and one. You might see two and O, but very rarely do you get the double bagel. So I'm just what if, yeah, if you I had to like answer that. I, I think it'd be below ten percent, five percent for sure. <laughs> I just like I'm I'm curious if there have been like even a hundred you think there have been a hundred double bagels this decade? no, I don't I don't think there would be. That's yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's it's like hard to win O and O. I agree. That's that why it is noticeable. Yeah, I mean I I've definitely had those days, so I get how it happens, but you know, I'm kinda surprised someone like Ali Kick, who has such a huge serve, big part of her game, big weapon for her. So I, I don't know, I just, it's it's just hard. The two players who lost O and O, I'm just kind of surprised. Obviously, you know, we didn't see the match. We don't know what happened. So we're just speculating. But yeah, I agree. I feel like it's like really hard for these players at this level to get double bageled. Yeah, it's crazy. And look, I know tomorrow, I think, because they had rain today for both the men and the women, so they got rained out. So they may have to double up match-wise tomorrow. When you see, you know, the parts, let's say you play a four-hour match as the round of 16, then you have to play the quarterfinals the same day. Sometimes in those contexts, you see an 0-0, right? But outside of that, it's like, it's really hard to do. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I would agree. And, and you know, it just... It, so many factors play into it, confidence, conditions, 
you know, where the players are at. It's the end of the year. Um, there's a lot of things emotionally that could be going on. You know, you're tired. You're. It's been a long year. So I don't know. But again, I we I just have to keep going back to. I feel like that's just. I don't know. <laughs> I don't want to get myself in trouble, but. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, you can leave it there. That's fair. Um, but I will say for the uh, event here coming into the week, Francesca DiLorenzo, Daniel Yetlau, Shelby Rogers all had a chance to catch Katarina Stewart, who was in the USTA Australian Open wildcard lead. I believe with the way the results have happened that she has now clinched that for herself. So huge mazel tov to her. Way to go, Katarina. That's obviously a huge building block heading into 2020. On the men's side, Michael Moe coming off of a Knoxville title still in the lead, but guys in Houston with a chance, a guy like Marcos Giron who has to win the title, but I believe if he does, he will then uh, have, he'll clinch the wild card for himself, but uh, him, uh, I think, you know, in Champagne, we've got Stefan Kozlov making a quarterfinal, we've got Keegan Smith of UCLA making a quarterfinal, Again, all of those round of 16 matches in Houston. Brandon Holt, I should say, fought a 5-1, 10 match points yesterday in the second set before ultimately losing in a third to Giron. That was a really fun match, but a lot of fun tennis this weekend. It's, it is still crazy, though. You know, I enjoy it now because very soon there's going to be no tennis to watch. Oh, for sure. I mean, I think it's it's fun for us to follow. I don't know how fun it is to still be competing this late into the year. I mean, I'm sure it is, but it's also kind of like, oh, there's like so much tennis still. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I think it's so amazing. Obviously, these players playing for a lot on the line. It's such a huge honor to receive that wild card. And obviously, you work for it. So it's something really amazing to accomplish as well so um yeah i mean i haven't been following champagne at all but very (laughs) interesting to see the guys battle out and hopefully get that wild card Uh, don't worry that's what me and mike cation are for vicky we'll keep (laughs) what's going on in champagne but uh with that in mind we talked about cold weather we've talked about you know how nasty it is in houston how tough it is to be playing this late in the season that brings me up for things that are icky and there's only one person you can discuss Icky with, and that's Vicky. So do we have an Icky Vicky story this week? Maybe something winter-related, a poor Midland tournament experience for you, something like that? Ooh. Um, I mean, I guess this wasn't really Icky, but my, my very first time I was in Midland, I think it was the second time I ever saw snow, actually, um, growing up in Haiti and living most of my life in Florida. That's completely foreign to me, so... Um, we had to shovel snow that was up to the height of the door almost. And so I, the coach that I was with, so such a funny guy, he got a shovel thing at Walmart or a scraper. I don't really know what they're called. Um, so that was my experience shoveling snow. And actually the first time I ever saw snow was I was in the Czech Republic and we played the junior fed cup. It was the Le Petitas and uh, the other junior event that we had in Czech Republic and we went indoors I played my match it was not nice out but it was it was cold but it wasn't snowing I went in there for an hour played whatever came back out there was a blizzard outside so (laughs) I was like oh is this a thing that was the very first time I saw snow and I was like a kid in a candy store trying to catch it on my tongue and all this stuff and the coach's like get back inside (laughs) 
<laughs> so I don't know how icky that is, but if we're on the topic of snow, I had an icky story, but it was too gross, and I decided not to say it anymore. So I'll go with the snow story. <laughs> it had I mean, to do with it had to do with doctor stuff. So oh, did, probably yeah, no one wants to hear true. that. I mean, you've heard my gross uh, snow story and what I can draw in the snow. Um, but outside <laughs> of that, I'm trying. I mean, yeah, like the idea of being in because I grew up in Michigan, whole life here. I'm so used to it. But the idea of here, well, again, I'm also Jewish. Preface the listener, so I suppose Chris is miss music, not something that's necessarily in my DNA. But like the idea of hearing like, oh, what a beautiful sight, we're happy tonight, and it's like snowy outside. I'd be like, I'm, I'm not walking in a winter wonderland. Like, why am I listening to this? <laughs> so it's very. I just. It's snowy Christmases, snowy New Year's times, all these different things. That that's the allure of winter time. Oh, for sure. I mean, I'll I'll go somewhere where it's snowing just to get in the Christmas spirit. I think twenty four hours in cold weather is all I can really manage. <laughs> but then I have to get back to the beach. I mean, it was what fifty six degrees here the other day in the morning, and I walked out in a beanie and the thickest sweater I had in my closet. So that's kind of where I'm at with cold weather. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Well, then this week's Icky Vicky story brought to you by Tylenol. Tylenol, if you have the winter flu. <laughs> Perfect way to get you over your sickness. So, Westoff, <laughs> give me a little Icky Vicky sound effect, please, to round us out. But with that in mind, Vicky, any final thoughts before we close this one off? Well, how's the rehab going? We need a rehab update. You know, how's week number what two? Week number two is going amazing, making so much progress already. So I'm on track to start running on the Alter G next week, which is unbelievable. I'm not even three weeks post-op yet. Um, and for off, those give who- me some sort of fireworks in the background there. Let's go. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of crazy. And for those who don't know what the Alter G is, it's basically a treadmill where you can adjust your body weight and uh, you can run at 70% or 30% body weight, just depending on your limitations. And so obviously for us, we're going to try to minimize the load on my knee. So I think I'll be running at about uh, 30 or 40% body weight. So I mean, it's it's such a victory already. I'm going to start doing some jumping stuff next week. So, I mean, my physical therapist is as amazed as I am with my progress. So on track to start hitting some ball stationary next week as well. I mean, we're flying two weeks post-op. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm glad to hear it. That's awesome. Yeah, first it's the bike, then it's the G treadmill. And, you know, next thing we'll be hitting tennis balls and doing all of the amazing things. So that is awesome to hear. Uh, obviously, we are always thrilled to have you on the podcast, Vicky. But if you, you know, enjoyed our conversation today, you realize there's a ton going on in the tennis world that you need to catch up on. Be sure to check out our website, CrackedRackets.com. You know the deal by now. This podcast, the Great Shot Podcast, Cracked Interviews Podcast, like, rate, subscribe, review. It, it takes 15 seconds, literally. Tap, tap, five-star review. Close app. Never hear from Alex about this again. So, listeners, I see the numbers. Come on. We can catch up. We're almost, you know, we need to get a few of you more on there. But with that in mind, I always have to give a shout-out to the super producers, Max Ligner and Daniel Westoff, who have a f***ing editing job to do, as always. And, uh, you know, we, we cannot do this without them. So thank you so much to them. But 
for my lovely co-host, Vicky Duvall, for our super producers, Max Ligner and Daniel Westoff, and from our entire teams at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Vicky, what do we tell our listeners? Why do I forget this every week? <laughs> <laughs> it's the mini break podcast. What do we tell them? I literally have I have a brain freeze I I had anxiety as soon as you started closing out the episode because I was like he's gonna ask me what I have to say and I'm gonna forget this is sad that it's a thing every episode I literally have no idea what to say how do I still have this (laughs) co-host position (laughs) (laughs) one could say that's the breakdown of this duo um I literally, I'm, I'm thinking really hard, and I'm like, that's a wrap. That's not it. That's not what I say. <laughs> no, that's the breakdown. That's the break. Of course, it's the mini break, so we give them the break. So I say that's the break? That's yeah, what I say? Yeah. Why does that sound so different today? Well, that's the break, folks. <laughs> <laughs> perfect. I mean, oh, what a perfect oh way to God. ring in the weekend, and we will see you all next week. Thanks, everyone. Bye.